Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, and they did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It doesn't make sense. On so many levels, it doesn't make sense. First, there is this puzzling miracle itself. Jars full of water made into excellent wine. We are rational people. Rational people who have not been drinking at a wedding feast. How are we to make sense of this? And secondly, why in the world would the Son of Man begin his ministry with such a miracle? Or why would the gospel writer start his account of Jesus' ministry with such a miracle? Not a healing or an exorcism? Not eating at a table filled with sinners? Or just teaching crowds of people? Why would this be the start to his ministry? You know, an outside the back door of the kitchen turning water into wine for a single wedding miracle. A hidden miracle that many, most, did not even know had happened. It doesn't make sense. But then again, it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't Jesus be able to turn water into wine? And why are some of us so reluctant to believe this and the other miracles that the Gospels relate to us? Why wouldn't Jesus, once persuaded to do something about this party planner's problem, why wouldn't Jesus make not just enough wine for the feast, but an abundance of it? And why wouldn't Jesus make the best wine? Why wouldn't Jesus perform a miracle enabling hospitality and a continuation of celebration, even if it was just for an assembly of friends and family on the occasion of one wedding? Why wouldn't Jesus give such a gift? 
As the late Bible scholar Gail O'Day put it, Jesus inaugurates his ministry with a vivid enactment of the gift he has to offer. When you put it that way, it makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus turns water into wine. A celebration continues. Jesus turns water into wine, providing better for the wedding party than they would have provided themselves. Jesus turns water into wine, and those who see it see Jesus' glory and put their faith in him. And who would blame them? This act of Jesus's was so much more than just changing a hundred plus gallons of water into wine for a party. It was a sign of grace and abundance. It was a sign of what is possible with God. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus's ministry start not here at a wedding in Cana, but with him teaching in synagogues, at one point proclaiming that a particular reading is fulfilled in his reading of it. This is the passage from Isaiah that he reads one day at the synagogue at Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's how one of the other Gospels starts, Jesus' ministry. Big picture stuff. Whole world impacting stuff. But in John, we start with this smaller, more personal thing. A sign that God was not interested in just the big scale of life, but also in the small joys. And beyond all of that, God, in the person of Jesus, poured out this sign of love and care by taking the most ordinary of things, jars filled with water, and turning them into an extraordinary thing, gallons of fine wine. We are in the middle of a month focusing on stewardship, and this story is such an appropriate one for this time. It is a reminder of what is possible with God, and it is a reminder that when we give him what might seem to us to be ordinary, he can make it extraordinary. Last year in our stewardship campaign, we asked those who had never pledged before to consider giving $20 a month. We asked those who had been giving to consider increasing their giving by $20 a month. These seemingly ordinary amounts we knew, when given joyfully and regularly, could turn into extraordinary things when guided by the great giver of all gifts in their use. And this year, our ask is humbly the same, because we believe that God has placed us here at this time, in this place, to do extraordinary things through the gathering of our ordinary gifts. 
extraordinary things like rethinking what mission looks like, creating multi-generational teams to be God's hands and feet in new places and in new ways. Extraordinary things like building out Restore, finding different and increasing ways for it to be used in service to this community. And extraordinary things like renovating not just the cosmetics of this sanctuary space, but also the technology that is housed within it, allowing the worship services in this place to be shared online live to those who cannot be here in person during and beyond this pandemic. Extraordinary things gathered together and poured out to the glory of God for the love of neighbor. This is our vision. This is who we are. This is what we are here for. There is so much uncertainty in our world. That is true. But this is where the gospel gives us solid ground. New Testament professor Mark Allen Powell says, people who believe what Jesus reveals about the love of God have life that does not perish, life that is abundant and eternal. I'm going to repeat that because I think it's too good not to. It is the heart of what we have the privilege to cling to during good times, bad times, and all of the in-between times. People who believe what Jesus reveals about the love of God have life that does not perish, life that is abundant and eternal. Love and grace. Jesus poured this out continually during his ministry, beginning with an extraordinary gift to a wedding party, poured out from ordinary jars, and closing with an extraordinary gift poured out from his broken body on the cross. And as hard as it is to believe, these acts of pouring out for others are acts that we are asked to emulate as Christians. We may be ordinary, but with God who knows what is possible, when each gift we give, financial and otherwise, is gathered together like drops in jars of water, then offered to God with joy and expectation. Who knows what is possible? Well, God knows, and I can't wait to see it. I want to close today by sharing a poem by Chris Matthews. It's entitled, Sensing Grace. I encourage you to sit back, to relax, to close your eyes if you wish, and see if you can sense the grace of God that is poured out upon you. And in the silence I will leave after the poem, consider this grace and consider what God is asking you to do with that gift for his glory and for the love of others. Here we go. My days are full of possibilities none more exhilarating than when I cross the threshold of grace. Sky opens and space clears. A radiant landscape 
of belonging unfolds. And held, circled by love, I stand in sunlight and remember faithfulness. Warmed and awakened, I am stilled by wonder and breathe deeply of this subversive beauty. Grace never loses its power to startle, to wrong foot, to scandalize. Limitless and immeasurable, there are no strings attached. Amen.